going to draw your attention to Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. This is part three of four particular parts just in this one chapter. Mainly because there's just so much here that you cannot just gloss over it. Some individuals that I've done research with find it easier just to highlight the, fact, the actions of this chapter, not necessarily spend a great amount of time there, but this is a treasure chest. And the more you uncover the layers, the more you find the gold that is hidden. Let me read for you from verse 18 to verse 30, please. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to Futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for re- adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, this passage is loaded with information. The difficulty of it, though, is the application. Many of the things that we've just read, we have heard before. But I dare say, quite frankly, a number of us, even this one sitting on this stool, 
has had doubts. We wonder, do really all things work together for good? Do we really understand the theological issues that are brought up in verse 30? Are we really aware of the Holy Spirit's moving in our lives? And why must we struggle so? These are questions that have virtually crossed our minds. They're good questions. I believe they're questions that are answered in this passage, but there's something we need, oh God. We need you to teach us. And we need your spirit to interact with our spirit so that we would not just know that we are children of God, sisters and brothers in Christ, but we need to know the reality of what is called the Christian life in everyday activity. So we covet your teaching, not necessarily from the lips of this vessel, but from the words that are penned here for us, that your spirit would infuse them into our hearts. We lift up to you this morning individuals that I know would like to be here, but they just can't because of certain health situations. We rejoice with Judy that Brian is now at home. I only trust he's behaving himself. I don't know. And Judy has said that she has to remind him to eat. That's something I don't struggle with, God. No one has to remind me to eat. That sort of come natural to me, but Brian has been through a surgery that maybe right now food is not on the top of his list. Maybe things don't taste as good. Maybe he might even be cautious and not wanting to undo what the physicians have done. In any case, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen him. I pray that you would give Judy patience as she ministers to her husband and may you give Brian patience that he would listen to his wife. We also remember this morning Heather Harner. From the surgery that she went through and now the news that she received would be something that all of us would bow our heads and begin to weep. She may be facing another surgery that we don't know yet, Lord, but you do. And I pray, God, that if that becomes reality, that you will guard the hands and guide the minds of the physicians. In the meantime, Lord, I pray that you would bring about a peace in the Harner family, a peace that is described as that which we can't fully comprehend all we know is that it comes from you 
And I pray, God, that you would shower them. Shower them with the realization of your presence and also shower them with the joy of your peace. We ask, Lord, for continued strength for Heather from recovery from her first surgery till whenever or whatever the next one may be, I ask, God, that you would strengthen her. Thank you for her testimony. Thank you for her kind words as we spoke on the phone and reassuring us that God is in control. And for that we know, and it is in that that we can also rejoice. There are others, Lord God, that aren't with us because of other illnesses. I pray, God, for them. Not knowing all of them, Lord, but I thank you that you do and that you will bring to them a healing and the peace of your presence with them. As we dive into this passage, O oh God, I, I, I pray that our hearts would be receptive to what it has to say. I pray too, O oh Lord God, that you would teach us the things that we need to know, the things that need to be solidified in our hearts by faith, and the realization too that, Lord, we know and understand that one day our glory will reside with you. So guide us, O oh God, this morning in this text. And we'll thank you in your name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. I do have one more announcement that I need to give to you is this, is that um, Richard Ziders was going to be filling in for Paul Billow's class in the sanctuary during Sunday school. Uh, Richard called me this morning and uh, he got called out for snow removal or whatever in the township. So uh, he won't be there. Thus, we're asking that maybe you would all go and from uh, Paul Billow's class, just go down to the fellowship hall and join in and rejoice with the class that Bill Troutman is, is a part of. Um, that's the announcement. When, when you come to the Gospels, and when you begin to read them, as Jesus began his earthly ministry, he called men. He said, come follow me. He never gave them a job description about what they're going to be doing. He never asked them for resumes or even individuals that would give them a good report. He called them from every life, if you will, day activities. Some were mending their nets and he said, come follow me. And one was at a a tax table, and he said, come follow me. Others were introduced to him from brothers who had accepted that call, and one even said, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
But they followed after Jesus. He didn't give them any information about what was going to happen in their life. All he said is, come follow me. When you go through the Gospels and in the number of times that Jesus interacted with his disciples, you got to wonder if maybe in their minds they thought, what did we sign up for? Does this make any sense of what he's telling us? There were times when they questioned him about, who are you? There were times that they didn't understand anything that he was saying. All they knew was that they were following after an individual that called them, and they were on the front row of activity as Jesus performed the many miracles he did, the many teachings he taught. They were there, and they were taking it all in, but you kind of wonder if maybe at the very beginning they thought this is going to be an easy life. We find ourselves in the same situation as 21st century followers of Jesus Christ. We hear some of the same invitations as Jesus would say, Come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Whosoever will may come. And yet I have to tell you that maybe according to the passage of Romans chapter 8, we may very well be asking Jesus the same questions that his disciples may have asked him. It's about why. Why suffering? We thought that when we came to Jesus, and maybe some of the teaching of the early church was a little scathed, if you will, you know, you've heard phrases that if you come to Jesus, all, your, all the questions of life will be answered. Well, that hasn't happened. Sometimes it creates more. But we're faced with what the Apostle Paul is writing here in this few verses, these 12 verses, as he writes about suffering. What is the sense of it? Why? Do we have to go through it? What's the purpose of it? Well, all of those things are answered in this passage. Now you have to remember from a historical perspective, as the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, he is not in Rome. He's in Corinth. Paul didn't start the church at Rome we went over this many months ago. But Paul had heard about the church in Rome when he was in Corinth and he wrote this letter to them. He's writing to both Gentile and Jewish first century followers of Jesus Christ, believers. And it's during this time that persecutions were coming. Nero is coming to the throne. Started out okay. In fact, Rome, the, the emperor at that time, wanted the 
church to be active in the city because they knew that through their businesses and through their tradings of agriculture and such as that, that created taxes, money for the empire. But things were changing. Sufferings were coming. Books have been written about some of the sufferings. Fox's Books of Martyrs, you can read some of the accounts there if you wish. But the Apostle Paul is talking about sufferings. It's, if you remember from last week, in verse 17, he said that, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, why don't we just stop there? But he talked about if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering, affliction is a badge that believer people must wear. We can't get away from it. I, I believe it's based on upon what Jesus Christ said to his disciples as he's with them right before he is taken and crucified, he says, the world is going to hate you because it hates me. Life isn't going to be a bowl of cherries. It's not going to be rose-colored glasses. You will have trouble. Trouble. Sufferings. And yet the Apostle Paul begins in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. The glory. He's sharing with his, these first century followers of Christ the anticipation of sufferings. You will have sufferings. You're not going to get through this life unscathed. Some of you bear even the scars of things that have happened to you in this life. And sufferings can take on a, a great number of situations. We can suffer health-wise. We can suffer financial-wise. Relationship-wise. We can suffer in many different ways. But some of the toughest ones are spiritual sufferings. I, I believe you know this, but it's good to be reminded we have an enemy that hates us. Can someone help me speak to me this morning? We have an enemy that hates us. He's described by Peter as a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Not wound, devour. He and his minions are bent on nothing more than making Believer people, followers of Christ, useless. They can't have us back. We have been translated from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of God's dear Son. He can never have us back. 
but he wants to make us useless in any way that he can. And some of us bear the remnants of that over the years. Things have taken their toll upon us, sufferings. Maybe not something that we have incurred of ourselves, but things have come our way. The Apostle Paul says, no matter how bad it gets here, dear people, it can't even be compared to what awaits us. I think he's drawing our attention back to the beginning of chapter 8 when he says, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That which awaits us. I go to the book of the Revelation and you begin to read of all that is there in the descriptiveness that John wrote concerning what we have forward to look forward to. And I cannot even begin to grasp what it's going to be like just standing there and staring at the throne of God with that emerald sea and his throne is in the middle of it, and he's seated. He's in control. Beyond that, we are also made aware of streets that God has a different view of gold. We covet it. He, he paves streets with it. We walk on it. And it is polished that much that it is clear as glass. If you're driving down Route uh, 8081, going from uh, here down, going toward uh, the Lebanon area, you'll come to a rock. The road has cut through rock right near ravine and if you look at it now it is covered in ice because of the water that seeps through those rocks but what's amazing if you stare at it long enough obviously don't take your road off, eyes off the road please but it is that pure that the ice is blue it's amazing how it can be that pure that it has a blue hue to it. We're consumed with gold and a solid, and God says, I'm going to polish it to make it look like glass. And you're going to walk on it. I've commented before, maybe jokingly, but in reality it is a wonder that there's going to be a feast there that I don't know how long it's going to last. I've commented on the particular menu that it will be. I don't know if it is or not. I don't think I'll be disappointed if it's not prime rib. But it's something that it's, it's a table that just goes. The one that you'll sit next to. 
I don't know who it's going to be. I doubt we'll have a conversation about us. Because we'll be looking to the one who sits at the head of the table, our Savior and our King. So regal he is that the angels, thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000 say in unison, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That's, my dear people, is what we have to look forward to. Sufferings, yes, on this earth we have them. But no matter how massive they may be, they can't even begin to compare what awaits us. And I think the older I get, the more I can't wait to see it. Anticipation of it gives me a thrill. But the Apostle Paul goes on and and, and from verses 19 down through verse 23, he speaks of a release from sufferings. It's a twofold release, by the way. He speaks of the release of suffering for those who are, as he says, the sons of God. And then he talks about the release of suffering from creation. Creation was cursed. In Genesis chapter 3, thorns and thistles and other such things became a part of the landscape that at one time was not there. I'm glad that mosquitoes are not any larger than what they are. I'm really glad that stink bugs are small. None of those are going to make it into glory, by the way. A mosquito, if he does make it into glory, is going to starve to death because it said flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God. We'll have different kinds of stuff. Mosquitoes are going to starve to death. A stink bug, there's no place for them to hide. You recognize, they're starting to come out now. I'm in the living room with my cane. Ah, honey! What's the matter? There's a stink bug. We'll kill it. No! But I can't even begin to imagine how great the grass is going to be in heaven. And I hope I get to mow it. That would be a blast. The hills are going to be made low, so I'm not going to roll the mower. The valleys are going to be brought up. The crooked is going to be made straight. Ah, creation groans to be released from its sufferings. And it waits, as the Apostle Paul says, it waits for, in verse 21, 
that, that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. When we are set free, so will all of creation. You go to the book of Isaiah and you begin to read the passages that deal with the kingdom if you will, description of what happens. The lamb will lay down with the lion. The child will be able to reach in the hole of a snake. I have no idea why they would do that, but they'll be able to reach in the hole of a snake and, and not be bit. It's going to be a place of where just perfect things are happening. And creation is going to rejoice that it's been set free. Hallelujah. Then there's the hope in the midst of sufferings, verses 24 to 27. Now, in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because no hope for what, for there, let me, no hope because who hopes for what he sees? But now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Hope in the midst of sufferings. The anticipation of what is coming. And then in, in verses 26 and 27, is the Holy Spirit that intercedes for us when we don't know what to say. I'm going quickly because I want to get to uh, the goal of sufferings. I struggled with this passage all week long. In fact, yesterday, my wife, uh, glorious as she is, she said, what is bothering you? And you should never say nothing because that always is followed up with another question. Well, it looks like something, but what's bothering you? I would have been better just to say, honey, I am struggling with this passage because I don't know how to tie the end to the middle to the beginning. It just doesn't seem to fit because of the terminologies that are used here. What does it mean as we get to verse 30? And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. How does that fit? With verse 28, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. How do those fit? I don't think the Apostle Paul was just rambling here. I, I think he drew our attention to. And unfortunately, there is a slight of theological thought that takes these terms and I think adulterates them. They use them to, if you will, to solidify, to foundationally build their castle of you can't get saved unless God wants you to. And I don't think that's what they're saying here. I don't believe that's what Paul's intention was here at all. So I've had to wrestle with that. And, and, and if I can just give you, oh, Lord, have mercy, four minutes. All right. Isaac and Alexis is with Isaac now. 
or Zach, yeah, is Zach in a, he's not alone in there? Okay, I'll go just a little, can I go just a little bit longer this morning, dear people? I don't care what you say, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> you need these three points. Turn your paper over. I see in this that God has a plan, the plan, the plan. I'll, I'll embellish that in a minute. Then there is the purpose. Then there is the product. The plan, the purpose, and the product. God's plan through sufferings is that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's his plan. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says, For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it's Christ who lives through me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. That's the plan. And it only happens to those who are called. Now, before you get all excited, let me give you a definition of what I mean by called. You're not going to be able to write down this fast enough. Uh, you're going to have to go and listen to the retake on the church's website. Here it is, called. It is the customized life purpose God has ordained and equipped you to accomplish in order to bring him the greatest glory and achieve the maximum expansion of his kingdom. It has nothing to do with individual salvation. Someone talk to me. Called is a purpose of God for the life of a believer in order to be conformed to Christ and to maximize the influence of the kingdom of God. That's the plan. But here's the purpose. It's called predestined. Notice the word is not predestination. It's predestined. It's the same word that is translated a little bit differently in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 where it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has predetermined that we would walk in them. Dear people, our sufferings, the sufferings that you have, the sufferings that I have, is for the very purpose of God getting us to that place where we can infect the world. It's described in a four-letter word, hope. Hope. Earlier in the text, when you go back to uh, 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 Romans chapter 5 it says and our hope does not make us ashamed 
our hope. The purpose is that the plan, and that word predestined, again, here's a definition for you. If you want it, fine. Just listen. It says, the plan of God by which his glory and his will is brought to its ending. His glory and his will is brought to God's ending. Being conformed to the image of God, that's the plan. And God uses the purpose of sufferings that are predestined, that we have to walk in them. We're not going to get through this world unscathed. We're going to walk in them. And it's for the purpose of being conformed to the image. Now you've got to ask yourself the question, what is the image of Jesus Christ? Jesus says it a number of times in the Gospel of John. He says, I've come to do the will of my Father who has sent me. Being conformed to the image of Christ is literally sacrificing all that we have in order to complete and accomplish God's will for our lives. And some of that has been predetermined. You wouldn't sign up for it if you knew what was coming. But God has determined it for you and only you. Not all of you suffer the same way. There are a mountain of sufferings. But yet God has a purpose. And lastly, here's the product. Justification to glorification. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why didn't the Apostle Paul put sanctification in there? Justification, sanctification, glorification. That is the process of spiritual growth. Why didn't the Apostle Paul put sanctification in there? It's because that's what he's been talking about in chapter 8. It's all about sanctification. First, we realize that we're not condemned. Secondly, we understand that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. Third, we understand that part of that is through suffering, focusing, number four, on our hope. But justification leads to glorification. Now, he develops that from verse 31 to the end of the chapter. What does it mean for glorification? How is that even possible? Well, I've taken enough of your time this morning. But I want you to be made aware of the fact that sufferings, God has a plan for the purpose that the final product is that you understand what we have to look forward to. Glory. Jesus Christ. May we stand, please, for the, uh, the benediction this morning.
who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and evermore. Amen. You are dismissed.